And this morning, I was just saying, oh, what do you want me to share this morning? Because um, this one was, I had humility in my heart, I had building up the church, how do we build up the church together? I think one of the key things is how do we find the Lord's presence? How do we enter in? Now, for me, like the words that came about shame, about you wanting to be a father, about shouting, calling on him. If you can find his presence, his freedom and his liberty. Even the world you grow, if you can find the Lord, if you can hear him, you can experience him, there's liberty, there's freedom that comes. And is there anyone here that has ever struggled entering the Lord's presence? Ever? I've definitely had many, many times. And there's lots of things that can grab us in the church when you come to church. Or if you go to a community meeting, or if you go to a youth gathering, or if you go to a gathering, or if you go to a 412 conference, there's a lot of stuff that can grab us. We can be there for our friends, we can be there for the awesome worship leaders, we can be there for the word, the preachers. But ultimately, when we come together, we want this presence. You know, when we're alone, in our quiet time, when there's no musicians, and there's no preacher, we need to be able to find His presence. And, you know, one of the difficult things in the sun is that we're in a time where gratitude and thankfulness is hard to find. We're living in a time, I'm not saying generations, I'm saying we're living in a time generally across people where entitlement has risen up, where it can be found everywhere. And let me say that if you have a, are coming from a position of entitlement, if that is settled in you, where it's about what I can get, what I deserve, it's, what, it's all about you, it's very easy for that shift to become, I'm entitled, I deserve to be saved. It's God's job anyway. It's His job. But there isn't a deep gratitude of, Lord, of what the Lord has done. As reminded of Psalm 100, verse 4, and we all know, empty His gates of thanksgiving, and His courts with? And that's the two steps of entering in. Empty His gates with gratitude. And let me say, if you're spending in your quiet time and you're like, it feels like you're shouting over the wall. Now, I come from a Catholic background. And I remember in my prayer time, I could often feel like I'm shouting into space. God is somewhere there. And I hope of all the messages going up, he's somehow picking up his radar, picking up my message. That is how I felt. And if you feel in your quiet time and you're coming full load and you're praying, that it feels like I'm shouting over the wall. It might be that you haven't entered through the gate. It might be that you haven't entered and you haven't come with thanksgiving. You haven't started with, thank you, Lord. And in your own you gratitude. Lord, thank you for this. Thank you for that. And I'm going to focus mainly on thanksgiving this morning. Because there's so many places in the world that it speaks about the different ways we look at thanksgiving. In Hebrews 12, 28, it says, 
Therefore, since we are, we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Let us be thankful. Now, before that verse, it says, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And I think in the season, most of us here have had things being shaken. Things that we thought we could rely on have been shaken. Our jobs have been shaken. Our families, our friends have been shaken. There's been a shaking of things that we thought we could rely on. When we had the, um, the riots recently, you know, we thought we could rely on the army. We thought we could rely on the government in, to protect them in those areas. But there was a shaking of, actually we can't. But here it says, because we have received the kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. Another, at the, end, at the New King James Version, when it says there, let us be thankful, it says let us have grace. Now in the Bible, often, thankfulness and grace is used interchangeably. Now when you pray for food, what do you say? Let us say grace. Or let us give thanks. You know how we truly get into thankfulness? It's out of the place where there is grace that flows. As grace is where the Lord's grace comes and it softens us. It softens our hearts. It's a place where our response to others is godlike. Let me tell you, the way you respond to people will tell you how much grace you have in your life. Especially the people you don't like. Especially the people you don't like. Especially the opinions, when people share opinions you don't like. How you respond, the grace in your heart will say a lot about where you are. Let me say, if you don't have a lot of grace, if you're not, it will often indicate there is not a lot of gratitude in your heart, not a lot of thankfulness in your heart. If you're critical, it means there's a lack of thankfulness in your heart. The way that grace comes in is when you have a grateful heart. And you say, thank you, Lord, for what you've done. And the Lord pours out grace into you. And that's the way you respond to others. Full of grace. That's the way you respond to God. When something doesn't go your way, with this grace in your heart, Lord, it's not what I want, but I know you with me. But there is no grace, no thankfulness. So, Lord, what have you done? I thought you're going to... You become the accuser. It's the way you respond to God's word. And when you read God's word, or someone shares a word, and you do not like it, if there's gratefulness in your heart, the way you respond to God's word is, Lord, that word was hard, I don't like this. Uh, there's a struggle in me. But Lord, come and have your way. Come and change me, shape me, mold me, do what you want to do. But if there's no thankfulness, if there's no grace in your heart, your response is often, but. Now I see that, but what about this, and what about that? And this excuse, and that excuse, and... No, the God's word will not bend to us. Will not conform to us. We conform to Him. And the way we do that is through the grace of God. And we get that thankfulness. Another uh, indicator of thankfulness is in Ephesians 5, 18-20 it says, Do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. Is it the wrong last 
instead be filled with the Spirit. Now it's interesting, often when we get saved, we focus on that first part. Do not get drunk on wine. Right? I must stop drinking, I must stop smoking, I must stop swearing, I must stop saying bad things to my brother and sister. I must stop. As they think of, I must stop drinking much wine. I must stop. I must get out of Egypt. But that second part, instead be filled with the Spirit. Often that part we must. We stop doing things, but we stop running to the things of God. We, we're leaving the old, but we don't enter the new. But it must be a heart. Lord, I want more. I want to enter in. If you just left Egypt, and you're not entering into, if you're not being filled with the Spirit, you're in the desert. You're in the desert. It can't just be about stopping, about closing the taps, about leaving the world. But it has to be about entering into the Lord's presence. It must be about the more of what the Lord has. And what does it say after that? What's the indicator of being filled with the Spirit? It says, speaking to, another, to one another with psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music for your heart, from your heart to the Lord. Now I love that. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. I remember when Michael stayed with us many, many years ago. The same Michael that broke his strings down. <laughs> I remember sometimes I'd go down to the kitchen, like 2 or 3 in the morning. And I'd hear in his room, I'd hear him playing. Not a particular song. He'd be writing songs. He'd be making up songs. 2 and 3 many times from his heart. And that always um, stuck with me. That here's a man that he might have uh, challenges, he might have things he struggles with. But oh Lord, I want to, he was a man who wanted to sing songs to the Lord from his own. And we all can do it because no one needs to hear us when we're not quiet. And then it says, Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus. So if we follow the Spirit, when are we going to give thanks? Always. What are we going to give thanks for? Everything. An indicator of being thankful to the Lord is that we follow the Spirit. If we are not thankful, and we know where we are, thankfulness is an easy thing to test. We know in our hearts, we know where we are. We know we're filled with gratitude or we're filled with complaints. And if we're not full of gratitude this morning, I want to say that could indicate there's a leak. There's a leak of the things of God. There's a leak of the things of the Spirit. And you say, Lord, show me. Another indicator of thankfulness. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18 says, Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Give thanks in all circumstances, because that's the will of God. You may say, if you're not, if there isn't gratitude in your heart, if you aren't thankful, I can tell you now, you're outside the will of God. Because it says there, if you want to stay in the will of God, you need to. Change your posture. You need to say, Lord, what am I saying? Lord, help me to see. Because if you're not thankful, you're outside the will of God, and that's a terrible place to be. What about how we bring our request to God? You know, there's nothing wrong with bringing, bringing requests to God. You know, when you come and you pray, 
You know, you can bring requests to God. In Philippians 4, 6 it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. In all circumstances. When you come before the Lord, do not come, sit down, grab your coffee, Lord, I need this sorted, that thing, sort that person out for me. We don't come with our requests. We enter in with thanksgiving. We can have requests, but that can't be the first thing. If I wake up in the morning and I tell Tanya, make, okay, she won't make me coffee. But if I say, make me coffee, she's, she's going to be like, is that the way you took me? No. But if I say, yo, baby, thank you, man. I just thank the Lord for you. I'm good. And then I said, I was about the coffee. Then <laughs> she's like, should you deserve coffee? <laughs> we want to enter in properly. We want to enter in. We can bring requests. But let us, let us enter through the gates of Thanksgiving. Last one. Do you guys know the story of the ten lepers? Lepers. Remember there were 10 lepers and I think someone, I think Todd shared a word about shouting. There were 10 lepers and they saw the Lord and they shouted. Have mercy, have mercy, Jesus have mercy. Show pity on us. And Jesus said go and, go and be examined by the priest. What he was saying was the priest examined you to see if you clean. And they all were clean. And one leper came back. One came back, nine didn't come back. And this is what Jesus said. Well, Luke 17, 15 to 19 says, One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, We're not all ten cleansed. We are the other nine. There's no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner. Then he said to him, Rise and go, your faith has made you up. In another translation, it says, Your faith has saved you. The one that came back was the unexpected one. Okay, so often when you get saved, if you got saved, then you thought you were okay. But we just added Jesus on, it's a good, it's a good option to have. Then it's very likely you're one of those nine. Because you thought you were righteous. But the Samaritan, the one that came in you, Lord, I need you. Lord, I'm a sinner. And he knew what he received. He knew what he was saved from. He knew he was saved. And he came and he said, Lord, thank you. Are you thankful in your heart this morning for salvation? That you are saved. Who's saved here this morning? Who's given the heart to the Lord? Are you thankful this morning for being saved? No, we didn't deserve it. We were not entitled to it. Whilst we were sinners, whilst we were his enemies, the Father sent his son down to die for us, to gather us towards him, to make a way, to make a way back to him, to love us when we didn't love him, to love us first, because we were dead and we could not do anything to save ourselves. We were dead and he made us alive. Do we know that? Do we know that there was nothing we could do, that we were dead and broken? And he made us alive. Do we know? Are we thankful for that? It means I can look across this room here. 
And for myself also, I know there's people here that struggle with addictions, whose marriages were shaken, whose lives were shaken, whose joyful life was shaken, whose purpose was shaken, whose friendships were shaken, who couldn't find life in anything they did, who were broken in the, from, from the past. And they never saved. And you were saved into a kingdom that is not shaken. You were saved into a place where you could find freedom and wholeness and deliverance and life. And we could truly live. And if our posture, if we forget that, it's going to be hard to truly be fully thankful. If we minimize, it's so easy to minimize, oh, 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 I'm saved. But if we knew we were dead and now we're alive, and if we knew the cost, it'd be a deep gratitude in us. And I said, when you come before the Lord, if you're not sure what to be thankful for, Lord, I was dead by the mother. Lord, I was shaken. But I'm in a kingdom that is not shaken. Come like that. I'm quickly going to share one thing on Christ. So the first step is we enter his gates with thanksgiving. But now we're going to enter his courts, we enter his courts with praise. And let me say, Michael, you praise. We praise. We lift our voice. Praise is, we lift our voice. We shout to him. We praise his name. We lift him up. But you know that praise is a spiritual weapon? In Psalm 82 it says, Through the praise of children and infants, and Jesus quoted this when he went into Jerusalem. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemy to silence the foe and the avenger. Who's the foe and the avenger? The devil. The enemy, the accuser, the one that condemns. But the word says that God imposes silence on the accuser, on the devil, when you praise him. Can I say that if you feeling condemned, if you're feeling accused, if you're feeling like I'm not worthy, I, I messed up at this thing, I messed up at that thing, praise Him. Make your praises loud. If the voice of the enemy is loud, if you're feeling condemned, praise Him. Lift His voice, lift your voice to Him. Lift His name up. Because the word says, as you praise Him, God Himself will silence the voice of the enemy. You'll just, as you praise Him, as you praise Him, that thing in your mind that keeps on attacking, that keeps on, the lies that keep on coming. It's like the volume is going down as your praise is lifted. You know, in the Old Testament, often, when they went into battle, they praised His name. We are the first went into praise. Sometimes they went into battle with, only with praise. Sometimes praise went before them and then they had their weapons. But there is times where the Lord says, now I'm going to show you it's me. We just going in with praise. Amen. Say, I'm a thinker. I'd be like, can we take something? <laughs> and the Lord says, if you're going with praise, you're going in with me. And I'm going to say, there is anyone here feeling under attack. Praise His name. Because it's a weapon that the Lord uses. Yeah. And then the last one. Is... Actually, no. So why be, why be thankful? 
So if you're sitting here right now and you say, I understand I need to be thankful, but I'm going through a tough time. And you know, as someone overseas, uh, the guys that's in need in the church, there's a lot of need. And people are going through tough times. But you thinking, but why should I be thankful because I'm struggling? The verse after that in these texts, the verse after that, Psalm 100 verse 5 says, For the Lord is good and His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. You know what Uncle Walmer Ray always says? When you're in a situation and you do not know what the Lord's doing. Lord, why am I struggling? Why am I in this place? When you're in the unknown, you declare the known. You declare what you know. Lord, I don't know why I'm struggling. I don't know why I'm in this place. I don't know why I'm battling. But I'll declare the known. And the known is, for the Lord is good. You declare, Lord, you're good. I don't know why I'm in this place, but you're good. Your love endures forever. Your love endures, Lord. Lord, you're faithful in the hills and in the valleys. In the good times and in the bad. Lord, you're with me. You are faithful. Now, those are the truths of the gospel, of His word. Let me say, when you are not sure what's going on, you declare the known. You praise His name. You give Him thanks for the known, for the truths of His word. And there's a warning though if you do not. There's a warning if you don't praise Him. There's a warning if you don't come with gratitude in your heart. And in Romans 1.21 it says, For although they knew God, so this is for people that knew God. They neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. The warning of not praising God, the warning of not thanking God is that your heart will become darkened. If you go for long enough without, without gratitude in your heart, if you go for long enough without praising Him, if you go for long enough on the other side of the wall, you're going to dry up and your heart's going to become hard and it's become darkened. And it's going to be like futile. This thing, this walk with God is going to be futile. It's not going to mean anything. It's not going to penetrate your callous dark heart. So if you're in a place like that, there's a warning. Shift. Come again with gratitude. Come again with praise. Enter in again. Stop staying behind the walls. The last one is worship. So we said, come with thankfulness, enter the gates. Come with gratitude, you enter his courts. But when you're before him, when you're in his presence, that's where worship happens. What is worship? Worship is an attitude of God, it's an attitude of surrender. It's an attitude of coming before your king. Outwardly is bowing, kneeling. Like I said earlier, come from a Catholic background, I'm used to kneeling. But it was not that you do what we did. Kneel, get up, kneel. That's falling down on your face. Have you ever fallen down on your face in worship? Or in your quiet time? I remember once I came home from work, came upstairs, and I was flat in the face. <laughs> but out, like I mean out. So I just nudged her between the eyes. And then she was like, uh, uh, I said, okay, okay. But you're flat in the face before the Lord. Like, when last were you flat? Like, I'm talking about in a service or in a meeting or at home in your room. When last were you flat on your face? That's where we worship at you know in Isaiah, what did Isaiah say in Isaiah 6? When he saw the Lord, when he said, I saw the Lord on his throne, he said, I am ruined. Woe is me. 
I'm a man of unclean lips amongst a people of unclean lips. I've seen the Lord, the Lord Almighty. You know when you see the Lord, when you enter His presence, you worship Him. You surrender to Him. You lay down before the King. You bow down. When John's, in Revelation, when John said, I saw the Lord, what did he say? I fell down in worship. The apostle that Jesus loved, when he saw him, it wasn't. It's been a long time. No. He said, He fell down in worship. Worship is surrender. Now, in, uh, when Jesus was speaking to the woman at the well, and she spoke about worship, he said, where do we worship? And they, we worship on the hill, Jews worship in Jerusalem, where, and Jesus says, true worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. And when you worship in spirit, it means we have the Holy Spirit. Right? But since we, the word says, you know, part of the world, we laid with a harlot, we laid with the prostitute, we joined with the things that one clean. But when we say, when the Holy Spirit comes, we lay with the Holy Spirit, we join with the Holy Spirit. And when we worship in spirit, that means we have the Holy Spirit. A spirit to spirit. It's like as you worship, there's a sense, through worship, there's a sense of the Lord's presence and the Holy Spirit communing with us. Spirit to spirit. You can't, unless you say it, you can't truly worship if you need Holy Spirit. But then it says in truth. How can we find it? How can we find what you're looking for? So, truth. When you worship in truth, it means we need to be sincere. And I'm landing here. We need to be sincere. What we say must be true. So, some of the songs we worship, you are worthy of it all. That needs to be true now. So some of us might be he's worthy, but not all of it. I'll give him a portion. But if we say he's worthy of it all, we can say, Lord, I want, I'm not there yet, but Lord, I want you to be in my heart worthy of it all. Let huh? incense arise. It needs to be true. And I'm, uh, for those that like the Old Testament, I'm going to go deep into the Old Testament now. Very deep. I'm going to Leviticus. <laughs> Well, first Malachi. So, if you guys know the Old Testament and New Testament, the Old Testament is a shadow of the New Testament. It's a type of the New Testament. Almost like a, 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 a shadowing, a foretelling of the New Testament. So often in the in Old Testament, incense, more specifically frankincense, represent our, our worship. They represent, represent the worship today. So, in Malachi 1.11 it says, My name will be great among the nations. From where the sun rises to where it sets, in every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me. Because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord. So when it says when incense was brought to the Lord, it's how worship was brought to the Lord today. In Leviticus 2, 1-2 it says, When anyone offers a grain offering to the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour, and he shall pour oil on it, and put frankincense on it. 
and he shall bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests, and one of them shall take it in his uh, take a handful of fine flour and oil with all the frankincense, and the priest shall burn it as a memorial of the altar and offering made for a sweet aroma to the Lord. So frankincense is a type of worship. So all those things are types. Like oil is the Holy Spirit. It represents the Holy Spirit. Right? So when you come, it's through the Spirit. But I'm not going to go through all of it, but frankincense is a type of worship. When we bring it. And it says all the frankincense. Not some of it. When we bring, when we come to worship, we bring all of it. But frankincense was in itself. It was like a, a tree gun. That's all it was. It was like a glue or gummy thing from a tree. It didn't have any value. But when it was tested in fire, when it was set alight, when it was brought on the altar, it was a sweet, sweet swelling, uh, smelling aroma. You know when we say, when we were singing, let incense arise, day and night, okay, day and night, day and night, <laughs> night and day, even the words is wrong, let incense arise. You know what we're saying when we're saying let incense arise? We're saying, let me burn, Lord. We're saying, Lord, take my life, Lord. You know that's what we're saying. We're saying, let incense arise, Lord, take my life, Lord. I'm a loving sacrifice. Make something beautiful, Lord. I hope that as it's tested in fire, it will be a sweet smelling aroma to you. That is what we're singing. But what does the Lord say what not to bring? In... In Leviticus, further down, verse 2.11, uh, it says, No grain offering which you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven, for you shall burn no leaven nor any honey in any offering made to the Lord. So what do we bring to the Lord? Honey. What does honey represent? Sweet words. Honey tastes sweet. The Lord doesn't want honey. He doesn't want sweet words. So when we come and we sing, take it all, Lord. If it all it is, is sweet words, it's not going to survive the test. Yeah. You know when honey is tested in fire, what happens? Honey is sweet, it's dark, it looks nice, it tastes nice. But when it's tested in fire, it becomes a dark, sticky mess that stinks. The Lord doesn't want honey. The Lord doesn't want sweet words. He wants your word. He wants your life. He wants frankincense. He wants something. He wants you to bring your life and say, Lord, take it. Not words. Lord, take my life. I'm a loving sacrifice. Take my life and taste it in fire and burn away the things that you do not want. And the thing that remains is yours. So that I am a truly living Lord. That's what the Lord wants. I'm going to with Romans 12 1 which is pretty much what he's saying here. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a loving sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now can I say that every single one of you, to a single one of us here, to a degree, there needs to be a shift. There needs to be a shift of of seeing what the Lord has done, of being truly, of more gratitude, of being truly grateful, of responding well. There needs to be a shift of, Lord, I, I, I know I've got some frankincense, but I also know I've got some money. I know there's some money in me. I know there's some things that I bring, and I know it's not true. 
But Lord, I know that outside of you, outside of you, Lord, that I cannot get rid of them. It's a work of God. You know.